0: Thank you, Nate. Well, good morning again. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord in this special holiday season. The holidays are in full swing now. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, Morgan and I, ever since we've been dating, we have done two Thanksgivings on Thanksgiving Day. Her parents live about two and a half hours away, so it's not too bad for us to get over there. So we've done Thanksgiving morning with my family, then Thanksgiving evening with her family. And which is great to see them both, but uh, the downside is I think I've put on like 10 pounds this week, so that, that is that. That's um, part of Thanksgiving, though. We're grateful for the good food and the blessings that the Lord provides as well. But today is the first Sunday of the season of Advent, as we mentioned before. And throughout this month of December, we're going to be doing this, this series called What Child Is This? We're going to look at five different stories in Scripture where a certain character in the, in the Christmas narrative was confronted with that question where they encountered the Christ child, and they had to answer that question, what child is this? And Richard, who's so unbelievably talented, I don't know, did you write the baby song too? Is that original? So Richard wrote that song the choir sang. That's pretty amazing that he composed it. And then he also arranged that what child is this uh, song the choir sang, and they're going to sing that every week as we light the Advent candle and ask the question, what child is this? Because really, one of the key questions of your lifetime that you have to answer is, who is Jesus to you? When Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? It was a crucial moment in Peter's life, as it is for all of us. We all must answer the question for ourselves, what child is this? And at Christmas, it's a great opportunity to ask that question again. Who is Jesus? What child is this, really? So next week, we're going to look at what the shepherds, how they answer that question, who is this child? The shepherds who were so afraid when they saw the angel armies of heaven, and then the angels announced, we bring you peace. We'll look at that on the second Sunday, the Sunday of Peace. And then the third Sunday on December 11th, our choir is going to celebrate with the orchestra and do an amazing special music when worship time, where we're going to sing for joy the third Sunday. That's why the the pink candle is there for joy, because it's a surprise. Joy always comes out of unexpected places. And then on the last Sunday of Advent, December 18th, we'll finish by looking at the story of the wise men. For Jesus, to them, was someone to love and to adore and to worship. We'll, we'll talk about what it means to really love Jesus with all of our heart and all of our soul. And then we have our big Christmas Eve candlelight service. We're going to look at Mary and who Jesus was to Mary and how she magnified the Lord because of Christ. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to come back on Christmas morning and we're going to light the big white candle and, and celebrate Christmas together. You can come in your PJs. It's okay. Whatever you want to do, it's, it's fine. It's going to be a really fun morning. But this morning, we're going to start the series by looking at a little scene that is often overlooked in Luke chapter 2. It's a story about a guy named Simeon who was hanging out in the temple. It's it's often put in the the, the end of Luke chapter 2, and a lot of times we don't ever get to it, but it's a really powerful reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. God put it in His Word for a reason, so we're going to look at this story this morning. Let's set it up before we jump into it. You know, Luke 2 is the iconic Christmas passage, right? In the King James Version, it starts out, and it came to pass that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that all the world should be taxed. My family, when I was growing up, and and my my little family now, uh, whenever we decorate the Christmas tree, after we finish decorating our tree, we read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 together as a reminder of the Christmas story. And next week we're going to look at Luke 2 and talk about the shepherds, but but this week we're going to look at the end of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Let's begin there now. When the time came for their purification, for the purification of Jesus and Joseph and Mary, according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So 33 days after Jesus received his name, Yeshua, which means God is our salvation, and he was circumcised, the law says that on the 40th day that the firstborn child should be dedicated in the temple of God to the service of God. The firstborn male was to be set apart as holy unto the Lord. In fact, the firstborn child was supposed to be part of the priestly order that was set apart in order to serve God as a priest. This is according to the law in the Torah in Exodus. We know that Exodus chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever it is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. The, the firstborn child was special to God's people because it reminded them of the final plague in Egypt the awful final straw that, that broke Pharaoh's back, the death of the firstborn son. The Israelites were told that the only way that their firstborn child would be spared is if they smeared the blood of a spotless lamb on the doorposts of their home. If they sacrificed a spotless lamb without blemish, then death would pass over their home and not take their firstborn son. So, Therefore, God commanded that the firstborn sons should now be dedicated and set apart as a a blessing, as a sacred uh, sacrifice for him. Well, Jesus' parents were good, God-fearing Jews, so of course they're obedient to the Torah, and they brought him up to the temple to be set apart as a priest on his 40-day old birthday, as one who would stand in place of others as a priest. A priest was a go-between, right, between God and people. A priest was one who interpreted what God was doing and then presented it to the people. You know, in, in Catholic Mass, the, the, the priest used to stand with his back to the congregation and he would work at the altar, right, because he was doing his work to God. And then he would turn around and give it to the people, right? He would bless the elements. That's what a priest would do. So I'm, I'm convinced that Jesus' parents had no idea What a big deal it was to have him in the temple that day to be setting him apart as a priest. Little did they know that Jesus would be the ultimate priest, that he would be the ultimate go-between between between God and people, that he would be the ultimate spotless lamb whose blood would atone for the sins of the world, whose blood would, would make death pass over us because of God's mercy and grace. I'm convinced they had no idea. The writer of Hebrews points this out. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, the writer of Hebrews says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Isn't that a great phrase? All you Vandy fans that were celebrating last night, this is about the anchor of the soul. The anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It's talking about the Holy of Holies in the middle of the the temple where only the priest could go one day a year. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is that strange and mysterious priest that we meet in Genesis who blesses Abraham as God's people. He is not like the the Levites. The Levitical priesthood in the Torah is something totally different. Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's a whole new kind of go-between, a whole new kind of intermediator between God and humanity. The irony and the the magnitude of what's happening here in the temple is incredible, isn't it? The Christ child himself, who is the fulfillment of the Torah, of the law, is being subjected to that law by being dedicated in the temple. As as Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4 a a few years later after this, he understands the irony of what's happening here. In Galatians 4 verses 4 through 5, he says, When the fullness of time had come at just the right time, God sent forth his son. That's Advent. Advent means arrival. Jesus showed up. He arrived. Born of woman. Born under the law. That's why his parents took him to the temple. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the curse of the law. Under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Thanks be to God who sent us his son, who was born under the law in order to redeem us from the law, to buy us back. That's what redeem means, so that we might receive adoption as children of God. We who were cursed under the Torah, under the law, the law that showed us how far short we had fallen of God's glory, and Jesus redeemed us from that law. Thanks be to God. And here, Joseph and Mary are obeying the law and they're making sacrifices in the temple as they dedicate their firstborn child to God. But it says that they can only afford a couple of turtle doves or a couple of pigeons as their puny sacrifice. They're not wealthy people. Wealthy people would have chosen a lamb. They would have brought a spotless lamb to to offer on the altar uh, as a sacrifice to the Lord, but Mary and Joseph couldn't afford it. Again, you see what's happening here. They had brought with them the ultimate lamb. They had brought the spotless lamb of the world, the one whom John the Baptist would point at and say, look, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was Jesus that day. So here, Joseph and Mary uh, had indeed brought Jesus into this temple, but we're talking about Simeon today, right? We haven't even gotten to Simeon yet. Verse 25, let's keep reading. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The word Christ means anointed one, Messiah. Simeon was was righteous, Luke says. He was in right standing with his community. He was in right relationships with the people around him. But Luke also says he was devout. He was in right standing with God. His vertical relationships and his horizontal relationships were both right before God and people. That's important for us to strive for that, isn't it? Because the Bible constantly talks about people like Simeon who are in right standing vertically and horizontally because God uses people like that, doesn't he? God reveals things to people like Simeon, who are walking the path of closeness with their God and in righteousness with others. Over and over again, we see examples, people like Job, who were righteous and devout before God and man. And, And one aspect of his devout relationship with God was that Simeon was awaiting, it says here, the consolation of Israel. What is the consolation of Israel? This is a common Jewish prayer. Even today, Jews, Orthodox Jews pray, May I see the consolation of Israel. For centuries, rabbis have, have referred to the Messiah as the Menachem. The Menachem is the comforter. He's the, the, the same word that, that Simeon uses here. He's the Paraclesis in Greek. The one who's called alongside of as a Messiah the one who's a comforter to us, the one who's an advocate for us. That's the Messiah that Simeon is, is longing to see. And tradition has it that Simeon is an old man, but there's nothing here in the text to give us that clue, is there? All we know is that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's salvation. How crucial is it for us to see God's salvation before we die? We celebrate the fact that, that uh, Mary Hickson had seen God's salvation before she died. We celebrate that fact. And we hear David Platt longingly say we long to bring God's salvation to the world before they taste death, before people die. They need a chance to see Christ and to know him intimately in a saving faith relationship by the grace of God. It's very crucial that we remember that. And so what was Simeon doing in the temple that day? Well, it says that the Holy Spirit led him there. He was just following the Spirit's lead in his life. Look at verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. How many divine appointments do you think we miss each day because we're not in tune with the Holy Spirit? How many opportunities do we not even acknowledge throughout our day because we're not in touch with what the Spirit's doing and the Spirit leading? Richard said, we need to go visit Mary Hickson last week. I said, okay, I don't, I don't even know who that is. It's Jerry's mom. We need, we need to go see her. And, and he told us a, a week later that it was the Holy Spirit that was prompting him to tell us to do that. When Jerry sent an email to us, he said, how providential that you guys went when you did. And that was the Holy Spirit prompting him. Don't miss out on those opportunities in life because you're not listening to the Holy Spirit moving in your life. So when Simeon sees this child, he he immediately knows the answer to the question, what child is this? Look at the rest of verse 27. The Holy Spirit had led him here to the temple and he had shown him that this baby is the Menachem. He's the consolation of Israel. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. He blesses God. He worships when he encounters the Christ child like the wise men did. We're going to talk about that on December 18th. He worships because he knows that this child is the long-awaited Messiah of the world. All he can do now is sing a song of salvation and worship. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He's, he's singing, Lord, master of my life. The, 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 the word in, in Greek is despot. It means total power, master. Lord, you've fulfilled your promise to me and to your people and to creation that you would send the comforter, the consolation of Israel. Now I can die my life is complete. We don't know if he's 25 years old. He could be a young man and saying, I can die now because I've seen your salvation, God. And the word for depart here, he says, now your servant can depart, has many meanings in in, in the original Greek here. It means to release a prisoner or to, to loose a ship, to untie a ship and set sail. It also means to take down a tent or to unyoke a beast of burden, like an ox or a donkey. That teaches us a lot about death, doesn't it? Something to think about this morning, that death for Christians is not something to fear. We confidently say to death, where is your sting? It's just the unyoking. It's a release of the burdens of this world so that we can be with God. Paul said it's far better for, for me to depart and be with God, but for your sake, I'm here. All these things show us that death is not the end. It's not to be feared. And Simeon, he understands here too that this salvation is not just for the Israelites. He says the salvation is a light for the Gentiles, for the world. Here's this devout Jewish guy, right? A very Jewish man standing in the most Jewish place in the world, the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, God, you've done it. You've sent your Messiah, not just to us, but to the world. How appropriate is that on a month where we give missions uh, offerings? How appropriate is it that Simeon recognizes that God's salvation is for every nation, tribe, and tongue on a month where we challenge Woodmont to give $50,000 to uh, overseas missionaries? He understands that God's plan for the beginning is to reap this worldwide harvest and, and that he's doing this gathering in the presence of, of all peoples because it brings glory to him and to his family when he brings his salvation to the earth. And he's using us to be that conduit of blessing that we've talked about so much here. He's using your tithes and offerings to fund his plan of salvation to the world. We need to remember that. And then it's no wonder that his parents react the way they do when Simeon is saying these things about Jesus. Look at verse 33. His father and his mother marveled at what was being said about him. Wow, really? Our baby son? Our little boy? Like Witten Edwards, what a great time to do a baby dedication during Advent. Think about a little baby boy. This little baby is going to be the, the savior of the world. He's going to bring about salvation not only to Israel, but to all nations. That's amazing. And then look at verse 34 and 35. Simeon blessed them. And then he says to Mary a word of warning about how hard it's going to be as the parents of the Messiah. He says to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon knows that the the prophet of of, uh, Isaiah, he had prophesied many, many hundreds of years ago that the Messiah would be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to many in Israel. The truth is that the, the person of Jesus confronts us with a choice, right? Either you believe who he says he is, what the Bible says about Jesus, or you don't believe it. Those are really the choices that we're confronted with when we think about the person of Jesus. That's what Simeon's referring to here. He tells Mary about the sword that she's going to literally observe, pierce her own son as she stands there before him on the cross. These are hard things. When you follow Christ, Jesus never promised that it'd be easy, but he promised to spare us from the evil and the harm that are in the hardships. And and like I said, this, this truth is divisive, isn't it? It forces everyone to to make a choice on what child is this. You know, C.S. Lewis famously pointed out there really are logically only three options when you're confronted with the person of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Well, you really have to decide one of three things. Either he's a liar, he's, he's deceiving, he's intentionally lying and deceiving people with false claims of divinity, or he's a lunatic, He's a crazy man who's out of his mind saying, I'm God. Or he's who he says he is. I and the Father are one. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's Lord. You have to decide he's either a liar or a lunatic or Lord. I know several people who say, I think Jesus was a good teacher or has good moral teachings. Well, that's not a valid option, is it? Because if he was a good person and a good teacher, why would he claim to be God if he wasn't? right? Either he's a liar or a lunatic or Lord. Those are really our only three options when it comes to Jesus. And now it says here that Mary is being spoken to specifically about how hard this is going to be for her. You know, in, in Luke 2, 19, you know the famous verse that says, Mary treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them in her heart. The word for pondered there means to put together, to piece together, Mary's trying to make sense of all these things that she's learning about her baby son and she has no idea how great the suffering is going to be of her son. How great her own suffering is going to be but how great the reward is going to be. The salvation of every nation, tribe, and tongue through her son, Jesus Christ. That's our hope, isn't it? That God so loved this world that he sent his only son so that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. That's the beauty of the gospel that we celebrate at Advent. But there's another 3.16 verse that applies to this story of Simeon, Malachi 3.16. You see, Simeon and other devout Jews like him were a part of this faithful remnant of Jews who were eagerly awaiting the consolation of Israel. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah every day, praying, oh Lord, how long till you send your Menachem, the Messiah? These, for 400 years, these people had received no word from the Lord. The last prophet before Jesus was Malachi, who came about 430 AD. These people had been without a word, without a prophet. It was a dark, dark, dark time for the people of God, but the darkest time is always right before the dawn, right? So Malachi 3.16 says about these people that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession." See, these people like Simeon, who are waiting on the promises of God to be fulfilled in their lives, speak to each other. They're encouraging one another to remember what God has said, what what God has said He will do. So they write it down in a book of remembrance. That's what we read here together. This is why we come to church, isn't it? To encourage one another to remember what God has said He will do. We believe these promises are true, we affirm them to one another. That's what. Simeon was doing. These people remember in his word that he has promised us that he will make us a people for his own possession, a treasured people. So to close, just five things that are about hope. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, hope. In classic preacher mode, they all start with P, okay? So if, if you want to take notes and write these down, five things about our hope that we see in the story of Simeon here. First, remember our priest. Our steadfast hope, the anchor for our soul that is Jesus Christ, our great high priest who has entered into the Holy of Holies and made a sacrifice once for all. Remember that he has set us free from the curse of the law and the curse of sin and the curse of death as our great high priest. Second, remember the path that Simeon walked in righteousness and devoutness. Remember that he was righteous with people around him and with God. And that God uses people like that. That he shows amazing things to people like that. Third, remember the power of God's salvation in Christ. And how important it is to see that salvation before you depart. Before you untie the ship and set sail. We must see God's salvation. Fourth, remember the plan of God. To redeem people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Not just one special group of people during this month of missions, offering, giving, let us remember God's plan to redeem the cosmos, including all nations, tribes, and tongues. And last, remember the person that is the answer to what child is this. Remember that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is who he says he is, Lord of all creation. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's the only son of God who took on flesh and entered into our world to redeem us, to buy us back, and make us right with God as the perfect lamb who takes away our sins forever. Remember that that God so loved this world that he did not spare his only son, but he sent him to us at the first advent, and he's going to send him again at the second advent as well. God so loves us that he sent his son to us. That's what we celebrate at advent. So let's remember, let's remember our priest, remember the path that Simeon walked, remember the power of God's salvation, and remember the plan of God for the world, and remember the person of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, who God sent into this world to redeem us. This is our hope. This is our only hope. In Christ alone, our hope is found, that God so loved this world that he sent his only son to save us.